Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Market Disruptors Show. Today I am sitting down with Jay Martin. He's the CEO of Cambridge House International. Um, they do a lot of live events, a lot of media, and a lot of stuff around the gold and small cap industry, which of course I spend a lot of time talking about. What I like about Jay is he has this insight because he's kind of behind the scenes in these, in these videos. There's so much good information that we can get from him, and I'm so excited to sit down with him. So Jay, welcome. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's great to chat with you. Yeah, you know, I, I've built my career off of uh, the, the statement, and I say it all the time, that success leaves clues. And so I like to follow successful people and see what I can learn from them. And uh, I know you're kind of in the same space. Like you, you, you put these events together, you bring all these people together, and I'm sure you're learning so much. So I want to see what I can learn from you and, and what the audience can as well. But uh, for those that haven't been following you or haven't met you before, just give us a little bit of background. What is it that you've been working on and, and what are you doing? Yeah, so predominantly, Mark, I'm a small cap investor, right? I, um, I, I look at sort of venture listed or CSE listed companies. Um, <clears throat> I, I author a newsletter where I talk about that and essentially talk about the, the trends I see, the companies I'm investing in. Pretty much everything I do is, is you know, following the money, right? The money flow is, is my first indicator and, and almost my last, right? It's <clears throat> my business is really built around building and maintaining a network of money managers and portfolio managers in the space. Um, I hold those relationships very, very tight with the intention of knowing first where dollars are moving, right? And so if I'm looking at an industry, you know, the first thing I, I'm looking for is when is the smart money starting to move in? And so, yeah, based on that, you know, I'm an investor first and, and I, I'm pretty active in the spec market. The early stage high risk stuff is where I like to spend my time uh, probably too weighted in that industry, to be honest with you. My newsletter talks about that. I host a show on, on my YouTube channel, uh, which is is a bit of a step back from the actual market itself. Maybe it's more macro themes. So the way I explain it is my newsletter is focused on making money and the uh, YouTube show is focused on protecting it, right? So we talk more about safe haven asset classes and more conservative stuff. Um, yeah, and then in, in pre-COVID times, you know, we host a series of investment conferences um, all over North America, you know, our biggest shows are in Vancouver, Canada, Las Vegas, Nevada, San Francisco, uh, Toronto, Ontario. Um, but we've been all over, you know, Boston, Palm Springs, uh, Montreal. It, it really depends, you know, that the live event industry, when it comes to the capital markets, it really, you really have to watch the market, right? Because, you know, if it's a hot gold market, you'll do well in Vancouver, you'll do well in San Francisco, still, you know, a pretty historical uh, population of gold investors in the Bay Area. Um, if, it's, if it's more agnostic, we do well in Vegas, we do well in Toronto. Um, and so it's, you know, up to us to really know what markets are hitting, where the populations that investing, that invest in those sectors live. And, um, and uh, yeah, and they're generally open to the public. They range in size from, I guess, at the small end, maybe a thousand investors would attend and have, sort of 50 to 60 small cap companies. And then at the larger end, you know, 10, 11,000 investors and five to 600 small cap companies. Um, and then uh, we have a private investor club called the Pangea club, which is really like handpicked investors that I meet along the way. There's no quantitative criteria. Uh, it's, it's just people that I meet through the trade show uh, business, through the newsletter um, subscribers and whatnot that I identify as being, super active in the venture market um, and that I enjoy spending time with. It's like the unofficial no douchebag clause, right? And we, we, uh, we have this club where we look at deals together. I, I often fly club members out to locations and we'll, 
we'll have handpicked, you know, six, eight deals to sort of due diligence on together, co-invest. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's kind of all about camaraderie and, and uh, you know, co-diligence and get to rub shoulders and just talk shop and, and um, just kind of born out of the conference business. And, and the Pangea Club now is probably my, my favorite part of the business, to be honest. Yeah, that's awesome that you're able to build that network. I love the saying that your network is your net worth. And so um, I look back on a lot of things that I've been successful on and it was like, you know, where did I get that idea or whatever? And it was from somebody that I knew, right? So it's like uh, being able to rub shoulders with everybody makes such a big difference. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to quantify for everybody listening though, you, t- you say small cap. So you, you're, you run these events, uh, you invest in small cap. What, what do you consider small cap? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and I guess... When it comes to my conferences, you know, the sweet spot would be companies that are either looking to list, uh, have a listing on the venture exchange uh, or the OTC in the US or the Canadian Securities Exchange up here or the Toronto Venture. Um, and typically they're looking to raise between sort of five to 30 million. That's our sweet spot for the companies that I'll work with um, and, and help them acquire a new shareholder base. When it comes to investing myself in the spec, sector, um, you know, really markets, it's all over, like uh, on the small end, you know, we'll look at companies that are maybe like sub hundred mil market cap for sure. You know, even 30 to 50 million market cap, um, uh, even pre-public for sure as well. So, um, uh, I, I like the early stage stuff, um, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm all about the people and it's, it's far more important to me that, that I'm, I'm betting on the right entrepreneur. And so the earlier I can get in the better, right. As far as needing that. So, um, yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I play pretty heavy in the precious metals industry and, and, uh, you know, take positions in companies as big as wheat and precious metals for just some security and, and, um, more stable, uh, portfolio. Yeah. Now I know, um, I know, I, I know you, you've been big in the gold space and that's a, that's, that's a hot area right now. It's one I've been talking about a lot, but before we dive into that, cause I do want to talk about that before we talk, dive into that though, I, I liked something that you said earlier, um, uh, which is that you kind of just follow the money flow. And so, um, you know, as a, like a macro kind of guy, I like to look at the market like top down. Um, and it sounds like that's kind of how you're looking at it. Like top down, where is the money going to flow? And it's easy to look back in hindsight and see that, you know, certain assets, it's, it's, it's tech stocks, then it's real estate, then it's, you know, whatever. Um, and so you can see how this money flows. Um, but I guess, is that how you're approaching the market? Like from a macro kind of top down and then just kind of like chasing that or, or trying to get there ahead of it? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And, you know, I think that's a symptom of, you know, the size of my investable assets, right? Um, I, I don't, you know, so I love that Barry Ritholtz quote, there's no wrong ideas, just, just wrong timing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, much respect to the hardcore contrarians who can make a bet and wait seven years for it to come to fruition yeah. at this stage in my life, you know, that's not what I'm trying to do. And so, uh, for example, you know, I'm very active in the gold space today because of the favorable tailwind, right? I've been watching the gold space, uh, for about eight, nine years became really active in it again about four or five years ago, uh, and then super active, maybe three, two, three years ago. Um, and that's really just looking at the smart money. When is the smart money beginning to move, right? Uh, the smart patient money, the ultra conservative, uh, that, that has the time horizon. Um, you know, I, I think that the biggest bull market in my lifetime, Mark, is going to be the health science industry. And it's one that I'm super passionate about, right? Um, and I watch very, very closely, but you know, I look at the sort of macro themes occurring right now and it's just not the time in my opinion to invest in optimization, right? 
I think the next five, seven years, it's all about buying stability. That's what people are going to be looking for is see if you have an asset classes. And so, you know, that's, that's hard assets, things like gold. And if you want the capital gains and the torque, then you can go down the food chain to the explorers. Um, but there will be a time where I'll be just as aggressive in, in the health science industry, I believe, right? It's just not right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I, I, I love that approach. You know, I was uh, on a live stream with my, with my, one of my groups earlier and I was saying that, um, you know, I'm not a professional knife catcher. <laughs> I'm not trying to time the bottom of any market. Uh, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a surfer. And uh, we were talking about earlier, like I'm, I was just on a surf trip and I'm a surfer. So I ride the wave. I look mm. at the forecast. I see a swells coming. I go to where those waves are going to be. And then I just ride the wave. Right. And so it's kind of the same thing that you're talking about where um, you're not trying to, like you said, the contrarians that can wait seven years, but why not just wait till the wave is there and jump on the wave? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. At this point in my life, that's what I'm looking for is, uh, you know, my average position with a company is probably two to three years. Right. Um, and I'll definitely hold longer than that, but that's ideal for me. Yeah. Now you talked about, uh, with precious metals, um, the tailwind for that. And then you went on to talk about how, uh, people would want kind of like uh, hard assets and things like that. Uh, what do you, what are you seeing? Why, why do you think that? Uh, well, you know, I, I think that the, you know, March rocked everybody and I think exposed so many people to how fragile they were and how exposed they were. And, uh, you know, put a real emphasis on the importance of basic things like cash reserves and income, right? Um, and uh, even myself, you know, I, I got three kids, I got a mortgage, you know, I, you know, run a few small companies, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite busy, but, uh, you know, if we were, my conference business was put, was put on pause with COVID, right? And we didn't have to wonder about that when the pandemic hit, right. it was like day one, you know, a lot of my fellow, my buddy entrepreneurs were sort of wondering one month in, two months in, is this going to impact my business? Like we knew on day one, right? The event business is shut down for a long time. So let's pivot hard into all of our digital businesses. And that's worked out well. But, you know, when, when that cash flow shut off, I was looking around at my portfolio and saying, you know, I'm really heavy in the spec market. I, I love the high risk sector. Uh, the gambler in me thrives there. Um, but where's the security in my portfolio? And do I have enough? Right. And, and I definitely doubled down on a few uh, positions I had um, that just I didn't feel were, were large enough to really carry my family through a worst case scenario, right? And I think that that's a relatable circumstance right now. I think a lot of people uh, can relate to that. They've had their income shut off or compromised. Um, and, you know, you look at the the capital flows, like, you know, that's, that's what I look at. And you look at the central banks buying up gold right now. You look at the ultra conservative pension funds buying up gold right now. They're looking for security. They're looking for a buffer against inflation. Um, and, and that's where they're going to find it, right? Historically, uh, you know, they, they find it in, in gold, right? And so um, that's, what, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like when that pandemic hit, I, I can't imagine there was a single person. Well, I'm sure there was probably some people, but uh, the people that I knew probably all wish they had a little bit more savings. <laughs> you 100%. Know? I was like, I mean, you know, I, 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 I can, I can go quite a while without making any income, but even me, I was like, I need more savings. And, 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 and even, and even with the future being uncertain, um, you know, the reality is in the future, it might be harder to make money. We don't know. So it's like, uh, everyone's definitely scrambling for more security right now. Yeah. Well, there's never, you know, I think we've been taught to have not enough respect for cash, right? It's, it's put the money to work, right? What's your money doing for you, right? 
uh, you know, interest rates have just uh, remained so appealing. You look at the bubbles and car loans and student loans, like it's, it's the way we've been trained to a degree, right? Like mm -hmm. the cash has no value, right? Put it to work, right? Leverage, whatever. Uh, and, and I think we woke a lot of people were woken up to the fact that that can be hugely costly. Yeah. Well, you know, they've created a system, uh, the central banks, the federal reserve, they've created a system where the money just loses value every day. So it like forces people to go save and, and by design, I mean, the, the fed targets a, a 2% inflation rate, which means you're losing 2% of your value every year. Mm -hmm. Um, and so by design, they're forcing us to go spend and you chase that down a couple of generations. And of course it's no surprise that here we are today. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, I'm curious, um, being uh, in small caps, which I guess would be considered more risky for sure, um, right? You kind of mentioned with the miners as you move down the food chain, right? You're kind of trading risk and reward. So being in the small cap space, you're younger, you, you probably make a good income, you're probably generally okay being a little bit more risky. Um, but then you see something like this pandemic happen where all of a sudden you're questioning that. Um, yeah. So I'm curious how you kind of like look at your own portfolio um, and how you balance that out. I mean, were you getting rid of a lot of those uh, like short-term positions and moving to cash or were you moving that to gold instead? Or like, how, how did you approach that for, your, for yourself? Sure, yeah. So um, I guess I think about it in sort of three buckets in my portfolio. It's pretty simple. It's the, you know, the one bucket called the insurance, insurance assets, things like my principal residence. Yeah. Uh, physical gold, right? Not, not, not paper gold or funds, but actual physical that I own and, and have. Um, and you know, I still get a lot of people that call me out on that. It's funny. Um, like I'm some kind of tin hat Armageddon prepping, you know, with the safe in my basement, but, um, you know, it, it is what it is. It's, you know, you know, I, you don't have to look far back in history to see the value that the just in case scenario, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what I think about it. Actually, you know, I, this is, this will be something you'll, you'll probably have some comments on. I actually put Bitcoin in that uh, bucket for myself and, and only because, um, you know, I'm not an aggressive Bitcoin investor. You know, I, I allocate a bit of cash there every two weeks, but I guess the way I think about Bitcoin is, you know, I never intend on becoming a trader. I don't really intend on uh, sort of cashing out unless there was some unique circumstance. It's something that I just, I want to have a horse in that race in a just-in-case scenario, if there was a situation where our fiat currencies were massively compromised, I think those asset classes are going to do really, really well. And so, yeah, it's real estate, it's gold. Uh, even though Bitcoin is not a hard asset, I put it in there. Uh, I'll get people to argue me on that, but it's where, where, I, where I place it. Yeah. Um, and then it's, you know, yield-paying stocks, right? I have a position um, in a variety of dividend-paying gold miners right now. Um, and that's where I feel good. Uh, in terms of market exposure with those bigger companies. Um, and then about maybe 30% of my investable assets, which I acknowledge is large, uh, but it's my style, is in the spec market, in the early stage high risk stuff. Um, and, and right now it's, it's, uh, it's majority precious metals for sure. A lot of uh, precious metals explorers or early stage developers, uh, but not exclusively. We're still quite active in the telemedicine space uh, one of my biggest holdings is in the nutrition space. Um, it's a company I helped co-found a couple of years back and, and uh, as a seed investor. Um, it's actually in the infant nutrition industry. Um, and it's doing really, really well. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the overall breakdown. 
Yeah, I think that's great. And what I, what I think that a lot of people can get from this is that uh, one, you said uh, it may be a little bit too much, but it's my style. And so um, I think that's really important for people to understand is that uh, what, I, what I say is like we have our own investor DNA and we need to understand what that is. Because what I want, what I need, what my goals are, what I know is different than you. And yeah. so I need to know what is right for me, just like what you said. It may be a little bit much for other people, but, it, but it's your style. And so I think, I think that, was a, that was a great point that you put out there. And I think everybody well, needs Yeah, it'll change with time, I'm sure, right? Uh, at this point yeah. in my life, I'm, I'm not quite swinging for the fences, but I like that. You know? And that's what I used to do prior to having kids and, and having a few more responsibilities. I've always been a gambler, right? And I'm definitely, uh, you know, I trend towards a higher risk tolerance for sure. So I need to be careful, right? And make sure I put some structures in place that limit my exposure a little bit because I'd be all in. I'm a horrible poker player, man. I'm all in on a pair of twos, but, but uh. <laughs> yeah, but that's the point. And that's why it's so important for people to understand this because there's no like me giving you the right answer because that answer changes, right? So like you're for you, like you might've been more risky before kids. Now you have a couple of young kids, you're and you know a little bit less risky uh, and then the pandemic hits and then there's even less risk. And so, and, and your goals and things change. And so it's important that people understand that. The other thing that you were saying that I, I want to bring a point to for everybody listening is that what you also said, and one is investing along your style. The other thing is that you're investing along, it sounds like, and t- tell me if I'm wrong, but you're investing into stuff that you know, that you have some domain expertise in. Um, so you're running events, you're meeting people, you have expertise there, you have maybe inside connection, not insider, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so you're investing along with your knowledge. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, 100%. And it's so key, right? To play to your strengths. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm agnostic in the industries I touch, but not in my approach. It's all about the people, 100% of the people. Uh, every company I'm a shareholder of, um, I have a high, high, high level of confidence in the entrepreneur. Um, you know, and, and, you know, my criteria is real simple. It's essentially when I begin looking at a company, first of all, I need to be able to identify some shareholders that I know and have a high level of trust in. Right. Um, and that helps me qualify. Yes, this is worth a deeper look. And then secondly, let's look at the management team and decide, um, whether or not they've had wins uh, in the past that I can stand behind. Right. I'm not opposed to betting on the rookie at all. Uh, you know, most of my life I've been the rookie, right. But like, when it comes to my, my dollars, uh, yeah, I do have that criteria, right? And if it is, you know, I've got a couple of positions and some first-time CEOs, but they've surrounded themselves with the right executive team. And I've got all the confidence in the world that they've made the right choices to buffer their blind spots, right? And so I can believe in that team. Uh, but yeah, step one is look at the shareholder base. Who are the cornerstone investors? Do I know them? Do I trust them? Do they have a history of making good decisions and being right? Mm-hmm. You know, and secondly, it's the management team have they already proven they can do it, right? So the question isn't, can they do it, but can they do it again, right? Um, always look at who the majority shareholder is, you know, and if they're not the management, then run away, right? If they don't have more skin in the game than I could ever, then I'm not interested, right? Sure. Uh, they'll never, never be a good steward of your capital unless they're more worried about their own. That's just human nature, right? Yeah, um, sure. yeah that, 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 uh, that, that skin in the game is so important because it's so easy for someone to walk away from sweat equity, uh, but they're, they're very less likely to walk away from their own capital. And uh, that's something that I constantly talk about. And, and uh, not just that I'm the smartest guy and I figured out or we're, we're both smart, but you know, every, every other successful person I've talked to always says, follow the team, follow the team, follow the team. And yep. 
even when I'm going into stocks, especially some of the smaller stocks, I just look at the team and I always, what I like to say is that a, a good team won't go to a bad project. And so it just, it, if I start there, I can filter all the junk out first. And then I do some private kind of like small uh, private stuff. And, and then you, maybe the, maybe as you're saying, right, the, the founder doesn't have the track record, but because it's smaller, you can kind of get to know them a little bit and you can see like what their passion levels are, what their, you know, tenacity levels are, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we all know like there's bad days outnumber good days in entrepreneurship nine to one. Right. Definitely. And, uh, you know, and so, and that you know, we're talking small cap, early stage stuff, right? You look at the, the, the bigger companies and bigger, bigger funds and investors, you know, people like Berkshire, right? He's famous. Some of his famous quotes are the good, a good company can survive a horrible CEO. Right. And he's not wrong with the level of companies he plays with. Right. right. But if you're looking at the small cap early stage, you, you are betting on the entrepreneur. Right. And plan A is not going to work. It rarely ever does. Right. Plan B rarely works. Right. So do they have the resiliency, the energy, the mental toughness? Are they going to be losing sleep over their problem? Like, I, I kind of want that. Right. You want someone who's willing to bleed to make it work. Right. I think that's hypercritical. Yeah. I love that. So now I know, like, like we already mentioned, I mean, you do a lot of stuff in the gold space. I talk about gold quite a bit, uh, Bitcoin as well. I'm sure my audience has uh, heard plenty of that, but I'm curious because, you know, you are also, uh, you said you kind of just more involved in small cap. So you mentioned um, cannabis, you mentioned blockchain, you mentioned nutraceuticals, you mentioned technology, telemedicine, things like that. Um, are there any other ones that you're kind of like, partway in right now, like other money flow areas, or do you think gold's like the best spot or like, what else are you seeing right now? Well, I was, I was very, very keen on uh, the psychedelic space actually uh, over the last two, three years. Um, uh, you know, what's the psychedelic, what, what's the psychedelic space? Like legal. Right. Medicine? Right. No. So we're talking about um, uh, psychedelic plant medicines like psilocybin, i.e. magic mushrooms, Yep. Um, MDMA uh, and LSD as a treatment for mental health disorders. And the clinical trials that are being run right now and over the last sort of four or five years are incredibly compelling. And when you look at the size of an industry like, you know, depression treatment, for example, and the, the, the success of, of traditional treatments is incredibly low, right? Um, and then there's companies like Compass Pathways that now I think a $2 billion company found, founded out of the UK uh, they're running clinical trials in the UK, USA, Canada, putting hundreds of patients through uh, psilocybin uh, trials to treat what they determine to be treatment-resistant depression, meaning they've, they've been unsuccessful with traditional SSRs, right, depression medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's, there's uh, yeah, there, there's clinical trials that are stacking up now supporting um, a counseled and guided psychedelic experience um, that is proving able to change the way we believe, think about ourselves, you know, our, our self beliefs and our, our preconceived um, ideas that's uh, having a very positive effect on things like depression, on addiction, end of life anxiety. Um, and um, it's an industry that I was watching really, really closely for about three years because the science was so compelling. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, whenever you have it, it's similar to cannabis in that, you know, um, clinical studies were blocked by prohibition for so long. And so there's just a lot we don't know about these molecules and their potential medicinal benefits. I mean, that was the real thing with cannabis, right? It was, 
it was um, the, the real downside to prohibition is that you couldn't study the compounds, right? You, you couldn't learn more about the potential impact. And now that we've lifted up that gate, there's all sorts of amazing science coming out about how to not just, not just cannabis, but the various cannabinoids that, that come out of the plants and how they can be utilized. And, and um, you know, we're seeing similar studies now and, and getting clinical passes on specifically MDMA and psilocybin. Um, and, Although the science is very compelling, I, I haven't seen a business model that really convinces me yet that there's something there and necessarily a, definitely a capital markets uh, play there. But um, it's an emerging industry. There was a ton of dough going that direction sort of a year and a half, two years ago. But I believe it was really just on the heels of uh, maybe this is cannabis part two industry. And I just didn't believe that to be the case. Um, so it's, it's, it's an industry that I'm watching very closely in the private sector. Uh, haven't found a company that I believed in enough to take a position in, but one that I am watching very closely. Um, and then, like I said, you know, the health science sector in general, like I I love the health sector, whether nutrition, nutraceuticals, um, you know, got a couple of big positions and some telemedicine businesses, uh, which I think are just fantastic that this industry is, you know, it's one of the silver linings of an unfortunate situation, like a global pandemic, we're stuck at home and it's, yeah. it's expediting the evolution of some of these companies. Like, you know, I would probably visit my doctor far more often if it was as simple as a Skype call instead of having to call in, book an appointment, wait three weeks and get in there. Yeah. And everybody's been forced now to get used to Zoom or Skype or whatever it is. And so um, as you become more used to that, then of course, seeing your doctor seems pretty simple. Um, I have read a lot about, um, as you're talking about the the benefits of the psilocybin MDMA treatments. And uh, yeah, it looks like overwhelmingly positive. I mean, the the amount of, uh, of, of stuff they've been able to do has been, been amazing. In the United States, you know, it started with, a, with like one state. I think it was Colorado legalized marijuana first, and then it just spread. I think Oregon is now like legalizing psilocybin uh, treatment. Um, yeah. But I, I know there's a handful of other therapists that are doing both. Uh, well, actually, the psilocybin, the uh, LSD, which they call something else, I forget, and then, and then the MDMA. So I think I, I've been watching it as well. And I think like, like anything, if you get in early – if, if, as you said earlier, like if you had the, if you had the hands like, as a contrarian to get in and wait for seven years, the rewards can be big. Um, for me, again, as a surfer and not a professional knife catcher, I kind of like to wait for that trend to develop a little bit. And so I think it requires a little bit of legalization, maybe some policy change um, that I haven't really seen yet. I mean, Oregon, I guess, is a little bit, so maybe it'll happen. Yeah, there's special circumstances, licenses right now for maybe four or five companies in the U.S. and Canada that have approval to um, synthesize the psilocybin compound and then utilize them in trials. Um, and, and, you know, the results look great, right? In terms of like sort of one treatment, you're seeing six months post-treatment, uh, limited or no effects of what was treatment-resistant depression. And, and um, the, the problem that's, that's probably going to occur there is that, you know, cannabis as either a recreational or a medicinal application is gener- generally recurring use. Right. And that's why there's money to be made because there's money to be made. That industry got pushed forward. Right. You look at the psychedelic industry and the clinical trials so far are so positive that it literally is one treatment and six, eight months later, uh, results are still there. And so unfortunately, although it's, you know, we're talking about potential uh, really impactful cure for mental health. That's amazing. But because, 
the recurring no money in it. that's the thing right and you know unfortunately it takes money to push these things forward so um, well, and, 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 and I mean, they, you know, they want you to be taking a, a prescription, you know, antidepressant for the rest of your life, like you're saying. Yeah. So there's so. that, but also that, that prescription can be patented or whatever, but you can't patent a plant. And so no. you have, you have that problem as well. Yeah. 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 So definitely an uphill battle. I, uh, you know, I, it, it's, it's a shame to see, you know, regulations trampling, what could potentially be, you know, life changing treatments, as you said, I mean, uh, some of the yeah. reports I've seen have been amazing. Well, yeah, the, the depression treatment business is a, you know, multi-billion dollar industry, but it's really a subscription business. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's to replace that is going to be very, very challenging. Well, the problem is with that industry is that, um, you know, whatever they're going to put you on Xanax or Zoloft or whatever it may be. Uh, I don't even know the names of all of them, but, uh, you know, it's like, if you're depressed, you don't have a Xanax deficiency, right? You don't need Xanax. Like what is causing the depression? It's either something mentally, some sort of trauma, something, whatever, or it could be some kind of chemical, you know, makeup in your body, but it's not because you lack Xanax. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, yeah. using something like these, these alternative treatments, you can go through the mental side or you could work on your diet side, you know, taking stuff out of your diet, adding stuff in. But I just, I don't, I don't see how the prescription of Xanax for the rest of your life uh, solves that, but mm. that's the money side, right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. That's interesting. Uh, the telemedicine space is interesting. I haven't seen direct plays on that. The biotech space is something that I, I have been kind of watching. I think there's, there's a lot of advancement there, obviously uh, with the whole COVID thing, you know, therapeutics and whatnot. Um, so um, I have been watching that. Have you, have you looked at that at all or? You know what, Mark? I don't. And it's, it's funny. It's just, it's never really attracted a lot of capital in Canada where I live. And although it's a massive industry in the United States, um, it's, it's not, you know, out East Montreal, there's maybe a few, a handful of companies, but it's never been big enough out here for me to know enough entrepreneurs to be, make a qualified decision about investing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I see the industry. It's exciting. But because it doesn't exist to any large extent out here, uh, and, and because I guess my approach is all about getting to know the individuals behind the funds and the companies, I haven't had that opportunity. And so yeah. it's never really been an industry that I've played with. Yeah, and, and that's a great answer. And it goes back to what you said earlier, right, about investing in what you know. And so I get asked all the time, oh, what about this or what about that? And I said, I just, I don't have the expertise there. And mm -hmm. so I don't go into those areas. I, I do recognize them and I think there's opportunity there, but because I don't understand it, then I just stay away. And I think, I think most people could benefit from that. We see, you know, people buying all kinds of things they don't understand. And a lot of times it doesn't work out so well. So I think that's a, I think that's a great thing. Um, and then obviously you own a business. So then you're investing in the business as well, which I always tell everybody, like I believe that the best investment you could ever make is in yourself. Right. And so invest in your own education, invest in your own business. And, um, you mentioned earlier, you're like your newsletter and your YouTube channel. One's like making money and one's protecting your money. Yes. And so really there's like three levels of money, making it, growing it, and then protecting it. Yeah. And, and you really need to focus on that. And so many people, you know, I talk about investment stuff. Everyone is talking about, I want to invest. I want to invest. I want to grow my money and that's fine, but you need to also focus on making money. And a lot of people, I feel, unfortunately, neglect that part. And they think they can become a full-time investor. And they don't realize, like, well, the investing is kind of what you do with your money after you make it, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Managing a portfolio full time can be incredibly stressful. Well, uh, and you need and, to have a lot of money. <laughs> yes. You know, what I mean, it's like uh, you don't you don't start with a thousand dollars and then become a full time investor. Like you start with like a few, you know, ten million dollars and then maybe become a full time investor. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Great stuff. Well, um, some great insights from you, Jay. I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. I think, uh, like I said, your, your unique insight because you're putting these events together, you're networking with all these builders and owners and investors. It just gives you such unique insight. And I love to get that perspective, invest in what you know, <laughs> invest through your network, follow the team, right? hundred percent. So, um, where do people find out more about you and follow you? Maybe some of these events, your newsletter you talked about, et cetera. Yeah, so um, uh, all of the content that we publish is on cambridgehouse.com. I, uh, uh, all my free newsletters are up there. And then um, our YouTube channel is, is Cambridge House. So if you search Cambridge House on YouTube, you'll find all of our content up there. Um, I should be more active on Twitter, Mark. I'm trying to take one from you here and, and get more active on the platform. Yeah. Uh, but we're at Cambridge. Anything that I'm posting up there, usually announcing any content we're putting out and, and uh companies are really excited about and all that but so cambridgehouse.com for the website at cambridge on twitter cambridge house on youtube yeah so for everyone listening I'll, I'll link to that in the in the show notes so make sure you go and check that out he's got some great content i've been watching some videos on his youtube channel as well so um yeah great stuff jay i appreciate you sharing with us taking the time thanks for having me on mark it was great chatting with you